You're listening to Tell Me More, a podcast for amplifying the work of graduate students. I'm your host, Wilfredo Flores, or just Will. This is a show where we ask graduate students a singular question. Tell me more. So let's get into the episode. Hi there, welcome to Tell Me More, where we chat with graduate students about their work, ideas, and more. In this episode, I'm chatting with Khadidra Billingsley, a third-year PhD candidate in English focusing on rhetoric and composition at the University of Alabama. So welcome, Khadidra. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you, Will, for that introduction. Um, so as you said, I am Khadidra Billingsley. Um, I'm currently a third-year PhD candidate at the University of Alabama, which means I am currently dissertating. And so most of my research focuses on composition pedagogy, um, but even more so than that, focusing on K through 16 collaboration um, between English educators at the post-secondary as well as secondary education level. Awesome, that sounds great. And you're talking to us today about your dissertation itself, which seeks to amplify the professional expertise and knowledge of high school English teachers who are oftentimes blamed for the inadequate writing skills of college-bound student writers. That sounds great. So please tell me more. Yes. So my dissertation, um, it it really came out of this uh, disciplinary conversation that seems to be ongoing, right? And so when we think about, there seems to be this widespread uh, perception that Uh, college-bound students cannot write and that they lack the adequate writing skills that is needed to um, complete collegiate English instruction and curriculum, right? And so I really wanted to look more at that conversation and see, are all of the parties that are being discussed in this conversation present? Do they all have a voice? And one thing that I noticed is that high school English teachers were being left out of the conversation, but they were the vocal part of that conversation. Uh, Mm. People were talking about them, but no one was really talking to them uh, to really understand what are the conditions in which they operate as high school English teachers. So what I wanted to do with my work um, is to go directly consult high school English teachers and ask them a couple couple of questions. And so the first thing that I was interested in is, like you said before, amplifying that professional knowledge that they have as educators, that expertise that they have, that pedagogical expertise. And so I was really interested in how do they perceive academic writing, the process of academic writing? Uh, What are their connotations of that process? And then secondly, I was interested in when they're taking that perception and they're they're going to translate that into pedagogy, what are some of the barriers or the constraints that they have to mediate and negotiate through their practice? And so my dissertation, um, I use a grounded theory approach in which I really try to go into uh, the conversations that I'm having with them with not much assumption or, or hypotheses about what it is that they're going to share with me. Um, and I really just let them convey authentic, authentically 
uh, what that experience is like without me, you know, telling them or, or guiding them towards a particular um, area. And so in doing uh, interviews and um, also doing some course artifact analysis, I've really begun to find that there is a multitude of real life constraints and barriers that these high school English teachers are dealing with, not only uh, standards imposed on them at the local level, uh, but also the state level and the national level. They also have to deal, particularly in the COVID era in which we are living, access issues among their students, but also among themselves as educators in their school system. Um, they have all of these external pressures coming in, not only from parents and government officials, but even other colleagues in their institutions, right? And so when we think about who uh, within a school system is supposed to be the arbiter of writing skills, right? Who is supposed to take on that, that responsibility? It oftentimes lands on these English teachers who we have to remember that English language arts curriculum is not solely focused on writing. They also have to balance writing instruction with literature instruction as well. And so there are all these different constraints that they're having to negotiate, right? Um, but even having to do that, I've also realized that they are extremely knowledgeable about academic writing and that process um, and best practices for that type of instruction. But when you take that expertise and then you take all of these other barriers and constraints that they are having to deal with and you put them together, that creates this ball of chaos, right? right. Um, and so my, my dissertation is really looking at amplifying that the expertise that they have to kind of disrupt some of that negative narrative uh, that is perpetuated about how they are the scapegoats for why the students that we get when uh, they come to college um, and even more so than college bound, but also career bound, because a lot of my participants, their students, some of them go to college, but some of them go straight into the workforce and, mm -hmm. and going into the workforce, depending on what position uh, you inhabit, that still requires foundational writing skills, right? And so you have to think about, you know, they have this level of expertise. They have these barriers. They also have to think about these purposes of their instruction. You know, how do they best serve their students? And so my work really looks at kind of the intersectionality of all of these different pieces to create a counter negative to the negative uh, narrative that is being perpetuated about them. That's so cool. I have like 20 different things that I can say right now that, that correspond to my own teaching right now. One of the things that I frequently encounter, at least in terms with my students, the students that I've had in my class, I should say, is that they think that the writing prep work that they've had in high school is invalid. And that mm -hmm. in the first year writing course, they're meant to learn all new writing practices versus just strengthening what they already have. Mm -hmm. There is, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that point up because I, I feel like there's a disconnect in terms of the uh, perception that first year writing students and their instructors sometimes have about um, the value of their high school writing instruction, right? And so some students, mm -hmm. they have this idea that, okay, everything I learned in high school is going to be completely different from what I learned in college, right? Um, but we want the system, ideally, the educational system should be scaffolded, right? Every level should build on the previous one. And so there should never be a time where you feel like you have to throw entirely everything you learned in the previous um you know, grade level out 
but like you said, you want to build on that. Um, but when, when we're thinking about this blame game that has been perpetuated, historically, college faculty has been the primary uh, criticizer of high school English teachers. And so uh, in my dissertation, you know, I do almost like a, a historical sketch of this conversation. And it is, you know, it goes all the way back to the 19th century where you have these colleges, you know, getting this influx of students who they feel do not have the necessary writing skills that they need, and then them putting a lot of pressure on uh, the high schools because they feel like that is the uh, landscape of preparation. That is the ideal place where these students should have gotten that, uh, you know, those skills and, and, and those concepts that they needed to learn. And so that criticism was even more vile back then. I will say, you know, now uh, it's not as prevalent, but as I was talking about with my advisor, I think that the reason that is so is because now we know that professionally it is not, you know, proper etiquette to publicly criticize uh, another yeah. educator, right? And so even though these conversations are not being had in public domains, you know, where um, in previous centuries they used to you know there were magazine articles about this yeah. uh this literacy crisis right uh there were reports the harvard reports were published in the 19th century about how the high schools needed to do better but i think now people are not going to do that more because of you know professional etiquette but these conversations are still being had in you know behind closed doors in um department lobbies and, and department lounges you know I've, I've heard plenty of them, so. Yeah. Uh, Can I ask too, so this idea of being, of up amplifying the work that high school teachers are doing, are there, let, let me say practical takeaways or strategies, but how do you envision us amplifying their work? Yeah, um, so this is, this work is pretty much the first step in a long line of interconnected scholarship, uh, where the ultimate goal is to use these um, sketches and these candid portrayals, as I call them, to uh, undergird some partnership efforts. And so mm -hmm. my dissertation is solely focused on high school English teachers right now. You know, what perceptions do they have of academic writing? Uh, what real life constraints and barriers do they have to negotiate? But my second phase of this research wants to take the exact approach and do that with college writing instructors. And so then we can get a uh, authentic depiction of the conditions in which we are right. teaching writing, right? Because that is all, that context is really important when we're talking about someone's pedagogy, right? We can say that, you know, they're not giving students what they need, but we need to understand what, what conditions are they operating in. And so yeah. once I do that, then ultimately I want to bring all of these educators together, the high school uh, writing instructors, <clears throat> as well as the college writing instructors and say, okay, now based on our individual, you know, experiences, one, um, what, at what point do we see similarities in terms of our experiences and things that we are grappling with? Um, but two, how can we come together and find a way to make this transition uh, smoother for our student writers so that they don't have those uh, perceptions like you were saying that everything I learned in high school is invalid when I get to college. Um, but really starting to have those conversations, those 
the direct conversations and those genuine, authentic conversations um, instead of just kind of assuming that we know what our counterparts are dealing with, right? But actually having kind of uh, tangible uh, trails to refer to. I like this attention to the specificities of location in this way and like paying attention to that specific context and how it affects pedagogy. Because even here in Lansing, stuff that I've, work that I've been able to do with high schoolers, uh, primarily Latino high schoolers and working with them and saying like, the stuff you're learning is valid. Like you can bring, you can use this in college and these are the practical ways and being able to be that kind of connective force between university and then working with high school teachers and then the high schoolers has been very impactful, I think, with those students to let them know mm -hmm. like, oh, I can do this. Like there's people mm -hmm. that got my back, but also the knowledge that I have is valid. And like, I'm seeing how these two people are working together to get me to succeed. Mm -hmm. So yes, mm -hmm. like this is to say, I definitely would love to see, like, I'm, I'm so excited to see where this goes because um, this sounds fascinating and it's stuff that I've experienced and I know how good it can be for the students themselves too. So this is great. Yeah, thank you. Great. I mean, I think the local aspect uh, is is important as well because I know we have organizations, you know, like the National Writing Project who seek to mm -hmm. do this work. Ooh, not even seek, they do this work, right? Um, but I think particularly uh, where I am located in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I would uh, call it a collaboration hotspot. And by that, I mean, we have a R1 university we have a very reputable community college. Um, we have a very well-known HBCU, historically black college or university. And then we have approximately seven high schools uh, within the city radius. And so there is no reason why these institutions should not have some type of partnership in place uh, because we do not in Tuscaloosa, we don't have a, a national writing project site. The nearest one is an hour away uh, in the next city. And so I think that even though we don't have that, uh, you know, national organizational structure, we as groups of educators who want to uh, better serve our students, right, we can organically create some type of partnership and collaboration effort among ourselves that would help make this transition a little smoother. And then, like you said, the students just seeing that collaboration, no matter if they go from a local high school to the University of Alabama, where I am, or the community college in the area, or an out-of-state mm -hmm. university, just seeing that kind of connective thread among the educators will kind of help them disrupt some of this idea that, okay, this is going to be a totally new learning experience. Right. Yeah, and I think peeling the curtain back a little bit about how higher education, the transition from K through 12 to higher ed works for students helps them succeed a little bit better because so much of it is mystified, particularly for mm -hmm. first-gen students. So the mm -hmm. more that we can demystify that process and let them know like, hey, mm -hmm. here's like the behind the scenes work that's going on, helps them know like, okay, now that I know what's going on, I feel a little bit safer in this uh, process. Even going to community okay. college, because I know when I went to community college, I was like, uh, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. So I think this speaks to the broader trends happening in the field, certainly to the, the, the direction that it needs to go. So I love this. I'm so excited to see where this goes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately, and I'm still in the process of data analysis, um, but I'm pretty sure that one of the, uh, you know, central arguments of my paper is that it's not one 
group of educators fault. We are all working in a uh, fractured system, right? Yeah. And so instead of laying blame on each other, we need to look at what are the um, components of this system that prompt all of this blame to be put on us at these particular educational levels. And so that is something that this project long-term is really looking to um, amplify and illustrate that we we should stop blaming each other and start trying to figure out how can we change the system in which we are teaching, right? That's a good point, yeah. So this project, to be honest, has been in the works for uh, over almost 10 years now since I was oh. in undergrad. Um, and so what happened was I remember my freshman year of college, uh, my first paper that I turned in, I got a C on it. And my professor, uh, you know, she wrote me a letter and saying like, yeah, I can tell that you were a good writer, but uh, you should have turned in a draft. Like that was something that she was really um, particular about, turning in drafts of papers, even though she didn't require us to turn in mm. a draft. If you turned in a draft to her, then you were going to get a better grade on the paper. But that experience really got me thinking, um, how is it that I got to see my first paper I turned into college when I've always gotten eight, you know, in grade school on papers and I was not turning in drafts. And so I initially, fast forward to my junior year, um, I started the Mellon Mays Undergraduate Fellowship, um, which is aimed to increase the number of minorities going through the academic pipeline, those who want to uh, become tenured professors. And so my research focused on the assessment uh, discrepancies between secondary and post-secondary educators at that point. So the ways, the different ways in which they were assessing student writing, uh, the different condition, conditions that affected the assessment that they were doing. And then after that, as I was engaging with the literature and scholarship, I found that the, the differences in those two groups, uh, you know, experiences is so much more complex than just assessment differences. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started to really uh, get into the literature and see that a lot of the stuff that I was reading was blaming these high school teachers and, and really not talking about, you know, the everyday life of what it means to be a high school English educator. And so that is where as I moved through graduate school and then ultimately got to the dissertation point, I really wanted to look primarily at their story. I wanted to help tell their story, um, you know, in a space where it could be widely distributed um, and understood in conjunction with, okay, this is what it, it really means to be a high school English teacher um, from a high school English teacher's perspective. 10 years in the making. <laughs> I, every time, like, it's so weird uh, because when people started asking me about, like, so what motivates you to, to do this work? I had to go all the way back and I was like, oh, yeah, I've always been interested in this high school college uh, relationship in terms of writing instruction. And so it's, I had to scale back <laughs> on my dissertation, which I'm sure many of us have had to do. Um, right because I wanted to do, I wanted to talk to the high school teachers and I wanted to talk to the college instructors and then I wanted to bring them together. And my advisor was like, this is three different projects in one. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and, you know, give them all of your attention at that particular moment. And then you have a, you know, future research agenda 
because like I said, all of my uh, scholarship primarily focuses on this secondary, post-secondary writing instruction. Yeah, that was the advice given to me too, because my disc project was two phases and I was told they were two different dissertations. So <laughs> I would have to focus on one. So yeah, that's the yeah. advice that I was given too. Like, keep that for your research agenda. When you go on the market, mm -hmm. it's going to mm -hmm. sound great that you have this long-term plan. So for listeners right, out right. there, if you're a graduate student, this is uh, great advice from both of us. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I had a mentor um, when I was doing my undergraduate fellowship, and I never forget this advice, and I share it with my students all the time and my peers, um, but I was telling him my plan for my undergraduate fellowship research, and he said, you should remember that research is like a pie, and you can only eat one piece at a time. You'll eventually get the entire pie, but you can only digest and enjoy one piece at a time and so anytime where I you know feel like I get really ambitious and I'm like I want to do all of this you know so quick I always go back and refer to his advice about just eating one piece of pie at a time <laughs> I love that yeah now I'm hungry too <laughs> like let me order a pie <laughs> so I'm in the midst of data analysis but again mm -hmm. uh, with using a grounded theory approach always referring back to the data even during data collection and so there were a couple of things. Um, one thing that I noticed is that even though my participants all teach in a different um, location, uh, which means that they would teach, we would think that they their context would be different, right? But they share a lot of similarities in terms of the things that they have to negotiate. Um, and so when I think about or when I ask them about their perceptions of academic writing, all of them are referring to the same, you know, key components and characteristics of what we would align with academic writing. And so, mm. you know, this process-based um, experience rather than focusing on products. And so they really want their students to um, enjoy, but also fully experience writing as a process and not just a linear process, um, but a recursive process. Um, they all talk about the importance of critical thinking the importance of um, getting their students to do some form of research, even if it cannot be as extensive of a research endeavor as they um, do at the college level. But that exposure, that is, that is one of the key things uh, that really stands out in terms of my data and, and the goals that the teachers have for their students is exposing them to these different components of academic writing that they feel that they would encounter um, in a fuller more extensive basis um, at the college level. And then in terms of their uh, restraints and constraints and barriers that they have to negotiate, uh, like I said, access is a big deal for um, a lot of the teachers at this moment. Um, and not even just access, like material access, um, but one of the things that I was kind of surprised that came up was in terms of time, time access among their mm. students. And by that, I mean, a lot of the students are working uh, part-time jobs because they have um, enhanced roles in their family dynamics. And so the teachers, that, that is something that, you know, for me as a college instructor, I know that my students, you know, work and I know that my students, you know, participate in extracurricular, but I more so expect 
students to kind of make that work among themselves in terms of how they balance that with their school work. But at right. the high school level, a lot of my um, a lot of my my colleagues were saying that that is something that they have to consider heavily when they are developing their curriculum. Like, will the student have enough time to do this assignment at home because of all of the other factors um, and responsibilities that they have? So that was that was something that made me think more like, wow, you know, I I know that that exists among my students, but it's not really something that I, I consider um, in terms of my curricular development. Mm, yeah, the attention to time is pretty critical now more than, well, I hate that phrase, now more than ever, but like, <laughs> I know doing like anonymous surveys with my students to let them know, like check in, like, how are you doing? What's going on? A lot of them are working part-time jobs right now and trying to like help out their families. So like even later, like spoiler, hopefully none of my supervisors are listening. Uh, even today, like I'm about to cancel, make class optional for them because they're just going through it right now. So mm-hmm. yeah, even beyond a pandemic and everything going on around that, mm-hmm. I think it's so vital for us to pay attention to that. So yeah, mm-hmm. your work is mm-hmm. speaking again to yeah. very real needs. Yeah. And I mean, just you know, bringing it all together. I think that is my ultimate goal uh, for this research. I think that no matter what level of uh, education you teach at in terms of writing pedagogy, uh, this work is important to consider because like I said, there should be a relationship among all of us, especially if, you know, as a system, we are saying that we should build on the previous uh, level from which our students come. And so I think this work really kind of giving a authentic portrayal of the experience of high school English teachers will will make us hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. as a discipline to feel more um, understanding of right. the conditions uh, that they have to work in and how those conditions differ from ours, but even more so how those conditions are similar to ours, right? right. Um, and how we can use that, um, you know, similarity to foster future partnerships and um, collaboration. And I will say I am not by any means advocating for uh, standardization of writing instruction among yeah. the group. Uh, you know, I am not advocating for more labor on the behalf of the high school English teacher. Um, but the, the ultimate goal of this work is really just to prompt understanding um, on both sides. Mm. Well, thank you again for sharing about your dissertation work. This sounds incredibly important and um, very much in line with, I think, the kind of teaching practices that I'm trying to develop. So I can't wait to read this and learn from it and maybe start making those connections wherever I end up in the future. So um, to wrap up, do you have any uh, social media or website that you would like to share with our audience? Yes, I can be found on Twitter. Um, my <clears throat> excuse me, my Twitter handle is at Miss K underscore at uh, the word at A T underscore U A. So it's the at sign Miss K underscore the word at underscore U A. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And again, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, this has been great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on.
Thanks for listening. You can find out more about this and other episodes at tellmemorepod.com, where you'll also find transcripts for each episode. The opening and closing theme song is Meter by Slow Alarm, music licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike license, and special thanks to Slow Alarm for providing the music free of charge. You can learn more about Slow Alarm at nulltealrecords.blogspot.com. Be well. <laughs>